As we stand, let us pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would breathe upon us this morning, that you would once again, once again send your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word, to enliven our hearts and minds, and to equip us for ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At Church of the Ascension, we worship, we grow, and we give. If you've been here for more than a few weeks, you've heard that before. But over the past two weeks, we've considered what it means to worship, and for those out at the picnic, what it means to grow. And today, on this Feast of Pentecost, we're going to take a look at giving. The story of that Pentecost day, which came shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, is a story all about giving. On that day, God's promises from so long before were fulfilled. This great gift of God, the gift of his spirit, was poured out upon all flesh. It began with a sudden sound like the rush of a violent wind. There were divided tongues like fire that rested on them and people began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles who had gathered. The day ended beyond where we read this morning with the most precious gift of all, the gift of reconciliation with God to those who previously were far off, as well as to those who were near. It's that gift, above all others, that we have in mind when we speak about being a church that gives. The call to give concerns, above all else, God's call to us to share Christ's healing with a broken world. That sharing of salvation and healing and reconciliation with God is what Pentecost is all about. On that day alone, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. Well, this morning I'm going to take a look at four questions. Why should we give? How should we give? What happens when we give? And what will you give? And today I'm, I'm not talking about money specifically, hardly at all. It applies to everything, but that's not the focus. But first, why should we give? Why should we share Christ's healing with a broken world? Well, just as we love because God first loved us, so also we give because God first gave to us. Every follower of Jesus is a person who's been on the receiving end of extraordinary gifts from God. And our giving is always a response to having been given to first. We also give because we are stewards or managers, those that look after and use well the things that have been given and entrusted to us. So much of that which God has given to us and blessed us with, he has done in order that we can give and be a blessing to others. The primary reason that God poured out his spirit 
was to empower and enable believers so that others could see and hear and know the love of God. So we give our time and our talents and our treasure to that end. And perhaps most importantly, we extend God's grace to others so that those who are far off and those who are near may experience the power and presence of God. This then is the context in which we're called to give. And we're going to explore this a little further this morning using that passage of scripture from 1 Peter chapter 4. You might find it helpful to take a look at that text. It's on page 985, and we're going to use that as our framework. We began with Peter saying this, the end of all things is near. Now, some people thought it was meant to be three weeks ago. At least that's what radio preacher Harold Camping told us. Sell everything, give out tracts, give away all your money, because on May the 21st, it will be over. Judgment Day, that's it. Well, it's June the 12th, and here we all are. Uh, You might know, uh, or like to know, or not like to know, I'm telling you anyway, Mr. Camping has uh, accepted he made an error. He's revised his prediction, and he's told us now that the world is really, really coming to an end on October the 21st. He's wrong about that. But he's not wrong about the end being near. I mean, never mind Mr. Camping. What does St. Peter tell us? Simply that the end of all things is near. Therefore what? Therefore panic? Uh, Worry? Pack in your job? No, look at what... Peter writes, his answer addresses my second question for us today, which is, how should we give? Peter writes, be serious and discipline yourself for the sake of the prayers. And in verse 8, above all, maintain constant love for one another. Because the end of all things is nearer now than it was yesterday, because so many of the great biblical prophecies have been fulfilled, not least those that foretold the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we are to give, not of our money to a radio talk show, but of ourselves to one another. Peter exhorts us to maintain constant love for one another. Now that's a big ask. And he continues, for love covers a multitude of sins. By the way, that's not how the world operates. You probably know this, but the, the world isn't interested in covering other people's sins unless by covering we mean media coverage. And then they're very interested. For in the world of non-love and ungrace, we have a double standard that operates. Our own sins are to be kept secret, hidden, covered up and buried where they will inevitably eat away, destroy, tear down, and separate us from God and other people. But everybody else's sins are to be exposed, so that the attention can be taken off us and shone onto the latest politician or celebrity or public figure who's caught with his pants down or her hand in the till. But that is not the behavior we are called to. Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. 
He's not saying that it, love excuses them or justifies them or means that they don't matter. That's not his point. His point is that just as God covers our guilt and shame, so we are to love others so that they too may experience their guilt and shame covered. This is to be one of the marks of how we are to be a giving church. Not perhaps what you might first think of, but I want us to to hear that this morning. This then is how we are to share Christ's healing with others. This is the context in which we're privileged to give as those who have had their sin and shame covered by God and covered by the love of Christian sisters and brothers. Peter then says in verse 10, We are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What is the manifold grace of God? Last week I had the privilege of meeting with all of the teenage confirmands before their confirmation here on Thursday. And one of the questions that I asked each one was this. Do you know what grace is? And actually, they gave really good answers. So, uh, well done, those who prepared them. Um, But let me ask you that. What is grace? Here's how I describe it. Grace is undeserved, unmerited, unwarranted, surprising, shocking, scandalous, offensive love. And as Peter tells us, we have been entrusted as stewards of that manifold grace of God. Wow, what a privilege. Do you know that grace? Do you know how loved you are by God? You know, when I was 16, I I wasn't so sure. I grew up in a Christian home and had gone to church all my life. I'd been on every retreat and Christian camp and conference that was out there. I was Mr. Happening. I was Mr. Youth Group, top of the class. I'd even preached a sermon at the youth service. And do you know how I felt inside? To be honest, I felt rather empty. I was jealous of the other kids in the youth group. I was mad at God because I thought he didn't care about me. I felt like a complete failure. I hated myself and I was ticked that everybody thought I was okay when I didn't feel okay at all. I mean, probably not wholly unusual feelings of many 16-year-old boys, but that's how I felt. Anyway, I was attending a youth retreat and I struck a, a bargain with God. Not something I recommend you do, but I'm just telling you what I did. (laughs) The bargain was this. If God will make himself known to me, then I'll carry on being a Christian. But if he didn't, by the end of that retreat, that was it. I was going to give the whole thing up. So Friday night came along, and I had a good time messing about. I went to the talks, heard it all before, what's new Saturday came, same story. Sunday, I'm actually quite worried. I'm worried for two reasons. The first worry is, oh no, what if I have to keep my end of the bargain? I said I'm going to give it all up. All my friends are in the youth group. But I was determined. If God didn't make himself real, I was quitting. 
The second worry was, what if it's not real? What if God's not going to show up? And, you know, I've, I was thinking about this earlier this morning at the early service, and I was reminded that at that time, I think one of the things that was going on in my mind was that I, I figured out, actually, the answer to my question. I knew, basically, how God could prove himself. And all he had to do was give me the gift of tongues. And at that time, I think that's what I really wanted. And that's not a bad thing to want, and God has given many folks here that gift, but that's what I thought would prove it. So anyway, on the Sunday afternoon, nothing had happened. So I went to see the speaker, and I sat in this room, and I don't know what I said to him. Anyway, I remember what he said to me. He looked at me, and he said, Jonathan, God loves you. And two things happened. In the first nanosecond, went through my mind was, Yes, you know, like I haven't heard that before a gazillion times. And then coming along behind like a freight train was the impact of those words on my heart. That God loved me for all my cleverness and thinking I knew it all, for all my thinking I knew how God would fix my... This just came over me. It took my breath away. In a way I had not experienced or expected ever before. You see, God accepts you for who you are, not for what you've done. We must rely solely on God's grace. What is the one thing that you can't buy? It's love. What is the one thing you can't earn? Love. What's the one thing you can't deserve? Love. And the Bible states very, very clearly... God proves his love for us. How? In that while we were still sinners, while we didn't deserve it, while we weren't lovely, lovable people, while we hadn't got it all together, God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, unless that knowledge travels the very short but difficult distance from your brain to your heart, it will be very difficult for you to give to others in healthy and life-giving ways. So why should we give? Because God has given to us. How should we give? As recipients and stewards of his grace. Which leads us to my third question. What happens when we give? Well, when we give in response to God's love for us and as stewards of his grace, then all the glory goes to God and not to us. Listen again to how Peter puts it in the second half of verse 10. Serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and power forever and ever. And when that happens, what flows from it is the building up of the body of Christ. The strengthening of the church. When we use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us, we can expect to see great things happen. Now I know that there 
are some people who are afraid of the Holy Spirit. I, I was speaking to a member of uh, our congregation about a month ago who told me that he or she was afraid of the Holy Spirit, and that's why they never came on Pentecost. But I want to say to you, do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace and love and truth. He is the spirit of Jesus. He is the one who pours out joy and grace and healing and forgiveness. And these things, amongst others, are marks of the spirit-filled church. Indeed, he's able to do so much more than we can ask or even imagine. And he does so by his spirit, working deeply and gently within us. God so graciously gives us the gifts we need to make his church strong and effective for its mission of sharing Christ's healing with others and to enable its life of worship. Today, we have a ministry fair in the parish hall after this service. And we deliberately chose to have it on this Pentecost Sunday. For it is a very real and tangible opportunity to see some of the manifestations of God's gifts and ministry in this place. I do hope you'll stop by and grab something to eat and drink and browse through the tables and see what God is doing. But more than that, let what you see inspire you to address my final question this morning. What will you give? Over the past 19 years of ordained ministry, I have had the great privilege of serving in four different churches. But I have to say, I have never served in a place quite like this. Don't worry, that's a good thing. Um, it is extraordinary to see the breadth and depth of God's gifting in our midst. But as we celebrate that, I also ask you to consider what God may be asking of you. This is not for one second a plea for people to burn themselves out and give more than they're able to give. On the contrary, it's a plea to step back and consider how God is speaking to you about sharing Christ's healing with a broken world. Remember I said at the start that was the main point of what giving is all about? As Peter reminds us in this very short list of just a few of the gifts of the Spirit, there are many and varied ways that we can use our particular gifts towards that greater goal. Peter mentions hospitality, serving, and speaking. And there are at least four other lists of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament, but I don't think we need to understand uh, them as being exhaustive of our very creative and generous God. What gifts has God given you? What gifts might he want to stir up in you? What is he asking you to give? Well, I hope with some of those questions in mind, you'll take a look at the ministry fair. But I want to finish this morning by taking a look at the last verse of our reading from Peter. For just as we began with a rather sobering word about the end of all things being near and the call to be serious and disciplined in prayer, this passage ends with a warning. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. Those who follow Jesus must expect to face challenge, opposition, and suffering. But without starting a whole new sermon on suffering, I want to make this simple observation. If, well, I guess it's a question, not an observation, but whatever it is. If, if I were to ask you, when have you grown the most in your life? When have you drawn the closest to God? When have you experienced more of God's love? I expect most, if not all of you, would tell me it was through difficult circumstances. Am I right? Yeah. It would be through fiery ordeals, maybe at work or at home, in a relationship, wherever. And so if today you are very conscious of being in the thick of such a trying time, such fiery ordeals, take courage. Do not lose hope. For the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost is still being poured out today. Pentecost reminds us of the power and presence of God in our lives and in his world so that all who call upon the Lord may be saved. That particular day of Pentecost and the way things particularly happened was unique. But the promise, the power, the gifts, the presence of the Holy Spirit was not unique. For in these last days in which we are living, God's Spirit truly is being poured out on us among young and old, upon girls, upon boys, upon men, upon women. And I am so grateful that God is at work in us, helping us to worship, to grow, and to give, making us into a worshiping community, equipping God's people, and sharing Christ's healing with a broken world. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit, deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh, yes.